In 2022, Sheena Patel published her debut novel, I'm a Fan, and was chosen as one of the Observer's top 10 best debut novelists. In the book, an unnamed narrator tells us about the similarly unnamed woman I am obsessed with and man I want to be with, in a tale of social media, obsessive love, power, privilege and race. It's an incendiary novel, chosen by foils as their fiction book of the year and one I knew would allow us to have a frank and sometimes funny conversation about where we find ourselves right now. Well, Sheena, it's great to speak to you about I'm a Fan. I'm, I'm wondering where to begin with this book, and I think I'd like to start with our protagonist, our unnamed protagonist and narrator, because I'm really interested by the idea of having a main character who is somehow not the main character in her own life mm. um, and is very sort of isolated in a way from many things. And I want to ask, first of all, about how you set up writing the book and and how you alighted upon this character who's sort of always somewhat on the margins well it's a mix of things really because I was it was in lockdown also like nothing nothing was happening so you did feel like an observer anyway so I, th- I definitely think like lockdown energy infused the writing of this and then I was watching a lot of documentaries and also you know I think a lot of people know what that feeling is like before they're in their life, but they're waiting for their life to start. Like, I don't mm. think that's too foreign a thought to anyone. Where you're like, oh, when this happens, then my life will begin. And it's like a whole vibe shift to just be like, no, I'm in my life and I have to make, you know, I'm the one that can make it happen. Mm. Um, so I don't know, that was not really conscious, really. But it is, it is also just like the effects of the internet. The internet can also make you feel like, Social media, I mean, I say this as I consider myself as like the internet's girlfriend, so I'm not saying this like I hate the internet, but like social social media can can make you feel like you're on the edges of other people's lives. Yeah. So I think maybe if, if that's there, then that's maybe where it's from. But it's also like a very normal thought to be like a lonely kid and just feel like other people are like living the life that you should be living. Mm. Um, and you're not quite sure how to get behind your own life or like what you should be or what you should be doing. I feel like that's quite normal. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think one of the things that intrigued me first about your book was when I sort of picked up that it was about social media or that it was you know heavily influenced by and obviously as somebody whose life revolves around that because it's my job I'm always interested to read these sort of fictional representations of it but what was really interesting to me was whilst I did totally understand it you're writing about somebody who has a completely different lived experience if you like to me because you you bring in some really interesting things about social media which are to do with race and class and you present a social media which we all know and understand, which is one which is populated by predominantly white people who are predominantly upper middle class or middle class and successful, telling people how to <laughs> to live their lives or presenting a version of life to which I, mean, I suppose even I feel slightly excluded from, but particularly your protagonist uh, as somebody of colour who is not in those sort of echelons but who desperately is sort of obsessed by them and that adds a real I don't know energy and piquancy to the whole thing because it makes it really charged with politics and race and class that was clearly really important to you at the outset from writing this book was that the sort of the driving force if you like or one of them yeah I mean politics is really important to me 
obviously. I mean, it's important to everyone, but I take it quite seriously. I'm like a bit of a nerd when it comes to it. Like, I'll know people's names that you shouldn't know. Like, I like, I'm like, oh, what's that guy in that ECR dream group? And I like that. I'm that person. Like, I know those things. Like, I really keep in touch with those things. I'm like, oh, I haven't heard from him for a while. Where is he? Like, I, was, I like know these things. Like, I'll, I like to know those things and I like keep on top of it. But I was, it's more just, I was actually watching documentaries that I'm like so influenced, it's so influenced by Adam Curtis and um, just totally bewitched by him, really. I just think he's a genius. And um, watch Can't Get You Out of My Head, an embarrassing, I'm too embarrassed to say how many times that is because it's about 10 hours. So I don't want to say how, how many times I watched it. But it, it was more like the idea of telling the story of Britain I mean, this makes me sound like a total dick, but like to tell the story of Britain <laughs> through this one band called was sound like such a dick, but like, <laughs> and then that sounds so grand, but it was more to tell the story of like this one of the country through a person. And also really what I wanted to do more actually than that was to bottle now and to really bottle what it, what it is to be now live now. And also like this veneer of oh where everybody's out there celebrating their lives and everyone's just like doing their thing and it all feels quite nice and I'm I'm quite influenced I mean I'm in Jungian therapy but I love Jungian therapy and this idea like the ideas behind it of like shadow and persona and archetypes and I love like I love Dick and um books about like you know these women that get chewed up by artists but like I don't know I was just like fucking love stories like that and I was thinking about those kind of like timeless things about power and ambition and creative creativity so it's like all of, it's basically it's like all of the things I love and all of the things that I love I wanted to sort of write towards so and also tell the sort of yes it looks like everyone's celebrating and everyone's liking these things and everybody wants these things but actually do we want these things is it that we're all liking them like is that really what's going on here and how do you then like what's going on like this is this is this what it's saying it is and also instagram's like shaped culture for that like, i mean it's tiktok now but instagram definitely like imprinted itself into culture dem democratized celebrity um like I wouldn't be writing without Instagram if I'm honest um as in I'm in a collective and called four brown girls who write and we started uh, we met in real life and then we kind of self-published a book and then we started to like tout it through Instagram and Instagram was like a very it's an easy way to show other people or institutions like I've got this many followers um this is how much value I can bring to you it's how the publishing industry works to be honest like we'd be brutal about it but that you know the publishing industry asks people that can't write but who have huge followings mm -hmm. to write books and have distorted culture in that way in, in which people who can write captions are writing books like that makes me sound quite rude but it's it's but it does it does make me sound rude but and there's a lot of people who probably can write who haven't got the instagram followers that can't get the traction and it's like yeah. what is that doing to culture um, because there's people's voices who need to be heard that haven't got the numbers behind them and yeah. then find it hard to get published because if it, if I didn't have my collective I wouldn't have been able to get you know it was a real struggle and put the publishing industry is was this whole foreign country to me I, I just didn't know how to get into it so hmm. we had to make our own 
vibe basically we had to make our own scene and then which meant that people came to us Mm-hmm. so like we had the Tate we did a talk with the Tate over lockdown it was like these institutions started to come to us because we had a bit of energy around us so it's just you know and so you kind of harness the power of social media in that way to to get what you want so I was thinking about all of those things and like if you are asking people to we've gone massively off the question but if you are asking people to write books that have huge followings exactly like what narratively what and culturally how are you what are we saying and what is the conversation and where are we going because then and who's setting that narrative and who's setting those channels you know like what Mm -hmm. kind of conversation are we having and who who is actually challenging anything because everyone's got a vested interest to keep it going so it was quite interesting to have like no vested interest and and really attack everything because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't owe anybody anything at all so I could write a character that was absolutely like burn everything absolutely burn the lot of you burn even the people that I look like burn the ones that I want the admission you know all of that it was just burn it all mm. and actually say what would I say if I had nothing to lose um and it took a long time like it took a long time to figure out what to say and how to say it it was so much fun writing it (laughs) (laughs) really it's really fun to write when you've got nothing to lose yeah that's really interesting because there's there's a lot to unpack there but I suppose the first thing is this idea of what really powers social media is sort of fandom if you like which this book is about in many many ways so as you say, that there are these people on social media who have been lifted up by their followings to the point where they can be given, as you say, a publishing contract because any publisher can look at those figures and yeah. go, well, we only well, need that's to a, sell... it was a ten percent, Yeah, it's a 10% yeah. of that following. And then da, 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 and there's like th- this creativity, this like beautiful nebulous creativity is then boiled down to the market. And it's mm-hmm. like, and what I was trying to attack was liberalism. And it's like, all of you lot who think you're not racist, you're actually doing, you know, you're all implicated into this system. You think, oh, it's about supporting voices and one. It's like, no, it's not. It's about you making a profit, actually. I don't mean you, you. I don't mean like Waterstones. Please buy my book. But um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> but it's just, it was, it was more that. It was like, how, is this what this is saying it is? And are the words that people say, like, how much of this is performative? Mm. And the performativity of, of even the liberal classes I was after as well like yeah because it was it starts to get down to like numbers and money and um that's what I was interested in kind of interrogating really what's really interesting is that is the emptiness of some fandoms I think because as you say you have these people who've got these huge followings and they might write a book and it'll be published but then it's really interesting to see sometimes when those books don't work they don't nobody buys them because even the fandom has got no interest in really buying that book all they can do very easily is to follow and to like something because it doesn't cost you anything to do that but the minute you're asked to to part with a bit of cash they're just like oh no no, move on to the next thing so you kind of go what what does that mean what what is that fandom it's just so pointless well I think it's just like extra work well that's what I mean and and then the numbers become irrelevant because that's not actually the thing people don't know what they need and people don't know what they want. And that's the that's the weird thing about making anything is that you don't know a lot of it is luck, like how it strikes in the culture. And numbers don't really 
lend themselves to that. Mm. So then, then the publishing industry, everything, films, whatever, whatever creative industry you want to art, the art world, whatever, fashion, models, writers, they all get caught in this system where it's like, well, you know, I've had people DM me and be like, well, I haven't got a lot of followers and no one's going to pay me attention. It's like, I don't know, how to, like, how do you break this? It's like so hard to break this thing. And actually what you need is like, is people like, you know, Nina Hervey from Rough Trade Books who, and Sim- Simone who's a who's the publisher in Italy, published the book in Italy. He's kind of the same like Nina. They like spot something in people mm. and they see, like Nina saw something in me. I mean, I chased her down to be fair, but she also was like, she write a book, like just write a book. Like I sent her a couple of pages and she was like, write a book and I'll, I'll publish it. Whatever it is, we'll publish it. Mm. And it's like, you need people to, like that, that actually like vibe nerds. And like, I see something in you, you know, you need people that have got a bit of sense about them to believe in you and invest themselves into you rather than someone being like, well, you've got a hundred thousand followers or whatever. It's like, there's no soul in that. I don't think you need people like Simone, but Simone does that. He's like, he's got this writer that he's found from, from somewhere and a mate that was like a social media manager for him, but wanted to be an editor. And he's like invested himself into like supporting the writer and turning this other boy into an editor. It's like, that takes so much energy. You know, that's like almost being a father. It's very like parental energy to do that. Yeah, like that takes energy. Yeah, as he said, it's, a, it's sort of almost like mentoring, isn't it? To sort of yeah. put your wing around somebody and go, right, well, let's make right. this. Happen. We're going to do this thing. So you obviously that that kind of support from there, and and I wonder as well the support from your collective, presumably yeah. very important for you to have got to publication. Yeah, well, we published a book of well, we self published a thing, then we put out like a little pamphlet to we took a show to the fringe and we fundraised on Instagram and then we made a little uh, booklet to give to people who fundraised for us as a gift so we wrote like an essay each so that sort of introduced me to like prose writing because I'd never felt very comfortable with it and then we did a set of pamphlets with Nina with Rough Trade Books and then that's when I saw it was it was like between prose and poetry and then and then we I did I'm fan um, so there was like p- stuff happening before on a fan but yeah like without the girls I wouldn't have thought that I could write like we turned ourselves into writers basically mm. we were just like you're a writer I'll listen to you and we've like <laughs> developed you know you know what I mean you just need somebody to be like I believe in you yeah. and so we've had I it's a real like it's very witchy when we're together um well, I'm really lucky to have them and Nina I'm like so lucky to have met them mm. um because it, I feel like I've, I come with a back- backup so I don't, I don't need anybody else's approval, really, so I have theirs. The, we've t- spoken a little bit about h- how our narrator sort of, as she refers to this other character, the, the woman I am obsessed with. And one of the reasons why she's obsessed with her is to do with this Instagram persona that she is sharing online. But, of course, the other reason is that she is in a relationship with the other character, the man I want to be with. Um, and time for us to talk a little bit about him. Um, we were joking <laughs> just beforehand about how awful uh, men can be. Um, he is he is awful in many ways, um, <laughs> and I wondered where. I suppose this it's not so much that it's obsessive love for him, but it's this idea of her being in this relationship with somebody who's not available because he's married and has other lovers, um, but also he always seems to be in control of what relationship she's allowed to have with him. With him, yeah. Tell me a little bit about writing that. Well, I mean, it's not really a trope that's anything 
unfamiliar to be fair like Picasso <laughs> was supposed to be like that Lucian Freud's supposed to be like that like Cecilia Paul writes about that um there's a lot of men that are like that that have a lot of cultural power um but then are quite regressive in the way that they treat women and also then that the women want to be near that immortality in a way mm-hmm. um and so it becomes like this whole dance like it's not I've just taken something that's actually quite recognizable and just put the internet into it I don't think it's anything that's you know what I mean like this and also the fact that other women and girls are coming up to me and saying like I know you know they know this relationship there's obviously something baked into the culture where you know men are like these pieces of glass that will crown but yet they're very protected and also seem just because they're men they're they're the prize in a way Mm -hmm. And that the it's the it's very interesting because like in films and books and things it's always the men running after the women but I think in real life it's always women running after men like I don't I, you know what I mean it's like it's actually that's actually sometimes what it's like is yeah is that a man can somehow become like a trophy and like I'm okay I've got him kind of thing there's a buffer and that's only because so much community support has been decimated that actually a relationship is the only way that you can have any access to care. So having mm. a man is like, I get love, I get sex, I get protection, I'll get money. I could get a baby or whatever it is. And so the man's just like, well, I know you can get all of this from me. So I'm going to hold myself off because I know you want all of this. And so there's this like weird power dynamic. Like he, he doesn't need to be, you know, he could be like Steve from the fucking HR office. I don't know. It's, it's not really like, cause this guy's so renowned that it's, it, it could just be anyone and it's just accentuated because he has cultural power and that's become, that becomes the thing that she wants through him. It's not, I don't even know if she wants him. It's like, she wants the thing that he is. Yeah. Which is sort of like speaks to, I love Dick um, where she becomes obsessed with Dick. Yeah. Um, and she starts to write to him and also it spins that whole muse thing on its head where this, the woman is like this passive muse and it's the man that's the active one actually even though, yes, he has a lot of power, she's the one that's writing the story. So it mm. does, and she's the one who's telling you who he is. And she's the one that's not named him. She's like dehumanized him in a way and turned him into a symbol. Mm. So there is an interesting power play even within the shape of the story. I think that she's not so helpless, even if she is helpless. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned the sort of those inspirations of the very famous artists who, who wielded that kind of cultural power. But it, it's not restricted to those types of men, is it? This no, sort of, no, not at all. It's, like, it's it's any man because like, how can you know? Not everyone's been in a relationship with an artist. It's just it's like <laughs> it's not that. It's, it it wouldn't. I wouldn't. You know, I know people hate the book. I do know that, and I did write it thinking I want people to hate it. Um, I, I didn't write it to be a book that people would love. I wanted people to feel sick when they wrote when they read it. I didn't mm. want it to be a pleasant experience. It isn't supposed to be like a safe place to like feel good about the world it's supposed to like it's supposed to be full of people that are horrible and who act badly but it's not just that every girl has a girl that they don't follow on Instagram and who they kind of hate follow and who they envy and who they kind of track alongside their own life and every girl who is straight or whatever has been in a relationship with someone like this or has had Mm. a relationship like this so it's not really with outside of the it's not anything special it's just written about you know it's just like shown that it's not always the woman that's walking around being the prize it's actually the men and it's the women that are running after them and it's not just these like 
the status just heightens it all but actually a man on his own is also just that as a you know is sort of protected and buffered from growing up yeah he, well there's a lot of there's this biological power that men have as well isn't there which is and as you say that because they're so cosseted they can be quite immature when it yeah. comes to relationships and so that often there will be these women you read about in well not even read about in books but who you know in life who yeah have spent time with a man who has spent his time kind of umming and erring about settling down and committing and having babies and then at the 11th hour deciding ah, uh, I'm not quite I'm ready all right. yet. And of yeah, course, she's for the like, woman. Fuck! I'm fucking 39, you fucking prick! I've raised you for five years! And now you're gonna fuck me over. Yeah, it happens all the time. And I like, yeah, it absolutely happens all the time. And women raise men, you know? Mm hmm. Why, why is it, do you think, that men... I mean, this is, Will, this is not your question to answer. I don't feel like this is me. my question to ask you. Why is it that men... <laughs> why are men like this? Please answer, Will. Tell me why men are like this. As a representative of your gender, <laughs> tell me why they're like this, please. Can you fix them? Can you find me one that's also not broken? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, boy, did I paint myself into a corner. <laughs> you did there, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to answer that. It's not for me to answer. I don't know why they're like that. I don't know why no, they're like no, that. This, like, yeah, not, not, I suppose not realising um, that. Do you know what it is? But I say it in the book, it's like, for men, I think time is infinity. Yeah. And men are brought up to think that it doesn't matter what age I am, I'm desirable. You can be 18, you can be like, I can have a child. But women are taught that, you know, 35, bang, you're out. Yeah. And that's essentially and I think that's what I was interested in I mean that and I have cribbed that from motherhood but um I was interested in that idea of like and that's that's connected to capitalism and productivity you're only as good as when you're productive mm -hmm. and I just think those two experience you know men and women are living on two different timelines and I think that I think that's what it is to be honest it's biological and you can't get you can't get away from your biology no I can't you know you can't get away from the fact that a, a person with a womb, a woman, um, like after 40, 42, that's it, you're out. Mm -hmm. You can't get away from that. And um, that then determines the power dynamic between men and women in heterosexual mm. relationships. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it doesn't matter how much progress is made without, you know, <laughs> I can't get away from that. So it's it's a trap, isn't it? It's like being told when you're younger, you can do anything, you can do anything you want, anything that a man can do, you can do. And it's like, it really isn't. I wish you told me the truth from the outset. It would make life a bit easier. <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> it ain't that. Um, not that that you know that there's inherent difference. I think women are incredible. I love being in a room full of women. I think it's it's, it's amazing. Women are the best. But it's just that. Um, it just that just it's just the dissemination of power, I guess. Yeah, you've sort of brought us back to some of the politics um, that you mentioned at the beginning, and you said that there was something very freeing about writing something where you didn't care whether people liked it or not and that you no. didn't have to worry about that reaction. But I suppose what that means is that... I mean, that, that was oh. also in part because, like, no one knew who I was. So it didn't really matter. <laughs> I had absolutely nothing to lose because no one, no one, like, I had nothing to lose because I had nothing. So I was just like, okay, we're going to write all of the worst things because, yeah, there's, like, nothing. Sorry, I cut you off. Well, I was just going to say, so what it means is that your, your narrator is is telling the truth about the world but of course at the same time your narrator is a character who is seen probably by many to be slightly unhinged, unhinged. yeah 
And, and were you ever worried about that sort of that razor edge of like, or, or, or do you just kind of go, if, if you think the person who's telling the truth is deranged, then that's on you? Kind of thing. Well, actually, like, to be honest, I didn't really think about what other people would think about it. And also, mm-hmm. and I made a joke out of it, but obviously, like, no one knew I was right. I didn't tell anybody I was writing. No one knows who I am. So it didn't, I, you, it's a kind of a weird, you can't, I don't think you can think about how other people are going to take something that you're writing or making as you're making or writing it. Mm-hmm. Like, you can only make and write it and then make it the, the most true or the most authentic thing that you can make and then give it to the world and then let go of the meaning of it. Like mm. to think uh, that's such a, such a conscious thought to think, what will people think of this character? I was just like, no, it's just going to, the only thing I thought about was like anything that she did or that was done to her, the opposite has to happen in the next chapter. Mm. And so nothing was set. So if you think she's truthful there, the next thing she'll do is absolutely mad. And then, you know, and it just kept moving. And it's like, oh, if you think the sympathy's with her, the next time the sympathy's going to be with some other person. And so the, I wanted truth to keep moving mm-hmm. and for it to keep um, twisting itself through the book. And and I definitely did write it. To, it's, it's not meant to be somebody who's likable. And also, I don't know why a woman has to be likable, even though I know at the minute culture's just full of unlikable narrators. But I find I, I'm, since the woman women's prize thing, I'm having more readers being like they're not likable. But it's like, but why do you need it to be likable? I don't really yeah. understand it. There's people aren't the best versions of themselves sometimes, and there are periods in your life where you know you can have ten years happen to you in one year, and you are just like the absolute worst version of yourself. And this is just like that of this person. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not always, we don't always act in the best way possible. We're also not as people, as human beings, we're not all one thing. We're many things. I've always found the whole likable narrator thing bizarre. For the yeah, it's just, it's, it. it's very strange. And also, I mean, it's definitely come from like, I mean, I think t- TV, to be honest, has definitely widened that. I really do think TV is like a real leader in culture. And I yeah. do think TV has got more space for unlikable characters. Um than books with books it seems to be like you need somebody that you're on the side of and actually it was political to make her unlikable to be honest because why you know black and brown characters especially brown characters are often these quite like meek heroes yeah. who are where things happen to them and they suffer and you know they're plucky and I didn't want to write somebody who was grateful I wanted to write somebody who was like absolutely could probably be deported you know and it was like it was but it was it, it was against the backdrop of like Shemima Begum and like you know her having been groomed now it turned out that she'd been groomed but like a year I was just it just felt really wrong to me what had happened to her and like Mm. if she's done what she's done she should be tried here she's British and for her to be stripped of her citizenship just like chilled me to the bone and I just thought like I was writing towards that as well like you know I don't know her I do think she's a very important person to us I think she should come home and be tried here she shouldn't be where she is you know her child died like those are political decisions that you know political decisions have had effect on her life yeah and um I kind of wrote thinking about that about why a brown person had to be or a non-white person has to be likable because I just don't think they have to be and I think there is something about being grateful to be here and I just was like fuck it I don't want to be grateful to be I want to write someone who's just free of that 
free of that prison of needing to be likable of like trying really hard and and distorting yourself in order to be approved of it was like fuck it what what who would you be if you didn't have to be approved of if you didn't Mm. have to be good what kind of freedom was there in that so you know and I'm someone who desperately wants to be liked so it was quite interesting (laughs) it was quite interesting to write someone (laughs) um who didn't care you've um reminded me of one of the bits of the book which I found um incredibly powerful I mean there's lots of powerful moments in this book there was one chapter though which is called there's no business like Mm. which felt and this is a real danger to think that anything that any writer writes is is them literally speaking to you but it it felt like it came from somewhere very personal and you can tell me whether that's true or not but in that chapter you talk about Shemima Begum and um, some other real people their experiences but you're talking about its race and you're talking about writers being willing to use parts of their selves or their culture in order to get appre- yeah. appreciation approval yeah pushing contracts or whatever and that whatever they give them will always be too little yeah um especially given how much they've they've given in return for it tell me a little bit about that chapter where it comes from how personal it is and and then we'll talk about <laughs> how it relates to where we are now well it was i mean I read Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. Um, she's American. She's an Asian American. And I, it's a bunch of essays. They're incredible. And they're basically writing about that idea of like na- narrative and who, who, who sets the narrative and how, what stories are we telling? Basically, it's like, it's a bit like she was in a spaceship looking at Earth and she's telling you that she has this grand view of, what we're doing Hmm. and I read that book and I honestly felt like I was watching a car crash in slow motion and I felt very sick when I read it and I thought all the things I was doing were really radical and actually I was like shit have I just been playing into this whole machine I've actually just been giving the machine what it wants and I'm actually not a threat I thought I was a threat I'm not a threat I'm doing exactly what it is I'm supposed to be doing which Hmm. is to be talking about my history and my family and my vulnerability and all of that and I felt absolutely disgusted with myself. I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe that maybe this is what I've been doing. I've not been challenging anything. And um, so that's where it kind of came from. That's sort of where it came from. It was like, how how do you challenge? And also, I guess it's like the nub of the book, really, because it, it talks to like her voice and... Um, I don't even know if it needs to be personal. It's just I wanted to say something. Hmm. Again, this is very bombastic. <laughs> I kind of feel embarrassed. But I wanted to say something that hadn't been said before. Yeah. And um, it took me, I wrote that almost at the beginning, a version of it. And it took me a year, it took me 12 whole months to actually get down to what it was that I was trying to say. Because it just, I couldn't get down to it. And the experience of writing it was it was like being a sculptor with like a piece of stone. And I was just like, I know what it is I'm trying to say. I just can't get to it. And it was mm. just like chipping, chipping, chipping at this idea. And then the final thing, like what it is in the book. And when I got there, I was like this sense of just overwhelming relief at like having done it. A fan base is how we will get the advances how we secure the invitations to prestigious awards, headline one of the smaller tents at the bigger literary festivals, or one day maybe we will even get to cosplay at being a gatekeeper by becoming one of the judges of a well-regarded prize. 
We think explaining ourselves or justifying our existence isn't too heavy a price to pay to gain entry through those gilded gates where liberal artsy white people will token us as a symbol of their ideological progress. They can think they're so exotic for being into your work. Aren't they so edgy, so underground? Or else most likely they will tiptoe around us, deferential but still exclusionary. It's not such a high price for admittance to the cultural establishment we reason. If we specialise in telling others what the world is really like, a race relation, it's not really such a burden to spin these pornographic trauma ballads for a little bit of status. We are saddened by the knowledge that nothing really collectively changes, but reassured by the thought that it did for me on an individual level as we backstroke across the vast placid sea of righteous superiority. And it was just like the idea of like institutions and crying in front of institutions and in a way like writing is crying and it's just how again it's about commodities and capitalism and social media just is designed to make you chop yourself up into bits and like um sell yourself and in a way the creative industries does that too it's like well we would like a story about you know you coming here from another place like your parents having come here and you suffering racism and you're not feeling like you're beautiful and da, 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 da. it's like well, how many of us can tell that story how mm. many of us need to tell that same story we're all telling the same stories like what is a new story for us to tell and who would we be if it wasn't for the approval of white people or this this the institutions or whatever you know like what what stories could i have told if i had never been born here mm. or I am so grateful to have been born here because I'm able to tell this story. Like, it's just really confusing and complicated. But I don't know if about personal. It's just I wanted to say something mm. new and I wanted to say something scary. I wanted to say something to scare myself because the process of writing this book is also that chapter for me, you know? Like, I read that and it's like doing a talk and da-da-da-da. It's like I'm attacking myself. So I didn't want to let myself off either. Right. I just didn't want anybody or even myself to feel good or feel morally superior to anyone else, le least of all myself. So she's hard on me too. She's hard on me too. So she attacks me too when I read it because I'm like, fuck, what am I doing? That's, I mean, that, I think that's probably why that, that chapter, if you like, hit so hard because it felt like you were absolutely putting yourself on the rack yeah. and kind of going, I'm guilty of this. Of I course, am guilty of it. <laughs> but I Here am guilty I am, of it. As a, I'm already been the representative of men, yeah. uh, now white men, and now of course Waterstones. So that, <laughs> I, this idea, as you say, of like writers of color giving away these pieces of themselves so that they can be on a prize shortlist or maybe exactly. appear at a festival on a or like slot. on this podcast, and I can be like, oh, it's <laughs> a Waterstones podcast. Look at me, I'm doing so well. And it's like, you know, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, really, what am I what am I doing here? No, I'm joking. Um, but it's just it's sort of like so I can feel what? So I can feel better than other people? Mm. I can feel like I'm getting ahead. You know what I mean? Who who am I leaving behind? Why can't I take them with me? Why can't I be hosting this podcast? In in many ways, perhaps you are too. <laughs> I am I'm merely your guest. You're merely my guest. So yeah. well, what's wrong with men? Yeah, well, quite. I said, we haven't got. You know, I thought I'd managed to evade that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, d I don't know. But why did it strike you? You tell me, because you said before that it struck well, you. I thought it. I thought it was incredibly powerful because, as you say, you absolutely put yourself in the spotlight. It felt like, but also, you you absolutely put everybody in front of that firing line. The whole idea of 
well, I suppose of, you know, like what is it to put something personal into art? Um, and as you've been asking yourself, so why am I doing that? What is the purpose of that? Is it for the fandom? Is it for the adulation? Is it for the success? What's ironic, of course, is that, as you say, you wrote this book without anybody knowing who you were in your in your head and n- not even knowing exactly how it might be published. Mm. It has been published and now it's been awarded Book of the Year by Foils. It's now been moved to another publisher. So here we have, you know, the paperback coming from a from a, a bigger answer. publisher, if you like, still yeah. an independent, but a bigger one. And so, of course, now you're starting to see, I suppose, some of the benefits of being truthful, of saying something difficult and of, you know, but what does that mean for you as an artist? Is well, that, exactly. you happy I don't with know. that or? I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's a very weird, it's a very weird thing. It's a very weird thing. Because you do, because, you know, that's, but that's what I saw of stories that were surrounding me from, that were, you know, that was, I was just like, I just can't read another story like this. Mm. I just can't, and I don't want to write one. And I think mm. I was writing them. Um, but also I've always been very, very enraptured by now. I was never very interested in the past. Also, I can't really remember the past. Like I have a very shit memory. Also, I just can't remember anything. And so I was also very like, what is it now? Like, who are we now? What is, what, what, what are we, you know, Mm. what are we in this? Not in the seventies, not in the eighties, not when I was a kid. What are we now? Who am I now? I want now. Mm. And I don't know. I've kind of avoided your question. I don't really know. I, I, I am uncomfortable by it because I feel like she's watching me <laughs> and I feel a bit like, ah, but I want the things. <laughs> right. So let me off. <laughs> and I just, I just feel a bit, I do feel like she's kind of judging me a bit. I do feel like that. Is there something to be said for the fact that, as you said, like the question is, why am I doing this? And, or why would I do this? Why would I put put this out there? And if oh no, I stand by putting it out there. I think it's the it's like like you say the grants thing, the foils thing. It's like that. It's like that. Does that corrode you? Does that corrode your ability? Because like, how much of the system are you in? I mean, I wouldn't say like you know, I'm not like Douglas Stewart. I'm not you know not huge, but it's like even these little wins. You're just like, but how how once you become a part of any system you become your ability to tell the truth is compromised it just it is because you're vested you're invested in the system um so I think that's I worry about that are you able to sort of square it with as long as you're continuing to have that kind of thought in your head which is I'm going to sit down and write as if I don't care as long as I'm saying something that's truthful as long as it's still art and not a book being published because you've got a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, then it's got some value to it. I hope so. I I hope I hope so. I, hope I mean, obviously, so. you'll have a problem when you do hit a hundred thousand followers on Instagram because then it won't ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> that won't ever happen. I don't have that kind of life where I would get a hundred thousand followers. I just share memes. I'm a meme lord. That's it. <laughs> um, uh. But yeah, I mean, I just, it was more like, it was like a burn everything. It really was, it was, she was just a burn everything person, you know, mm. and it wasn't so much personal as it was just being, it's female fury, it's female anger, which is something that, you know, we're denied, mm-hmm. I think, female anger. And so this is just a voice in their rage 
And actually, like, if you think of rage as fire, fire is very it's dangerous with cleansing. Yeah. So there's something kind of, I don't know, freeing about it in a way. It was it's a it's a character. So I mean, I'm not her because she's terrifying, <laughs> and um, and I wouldn't speak that way to when you know I wouldn't really speak that way to anyone. Um. And also I feel judged by her. Like she kind of stands over me a little bit. Fire can also, of course, be an important part of, of regrowth. Um, as you know, as you say, it's a cleansing thing, but also it can help forests to grow properly again. Um, do, do you feel for you creatively that you know where you're going next after this book and what you want to, to do next and say next? No, I mean, I wish I could be one of those people that were like, I'm working on my next book, but um, <laughs> I'm not. And <laughs> I find it very painful to write at the moment. Like the, the words come, but they come like excruciatingly slow. Yeah. Um, whereas like in this, in the book, it was like, it was flooding out of me. I was just like, you know, and, and for years it's been like that because I think no one's watched me. And um, n- now the words are quite, it's quite, I feel very empty, hmm. but I was talking to it so on the, um, I was on Tears for Frears, which is Ella Frears' podcast. I was on the podcast today, and one of the poets, his name's Richard Scott, he's got a book coming out, and it's been like five or six years since he's published. Mm. And uh, we were at a party like a, a month, like a few months ago, and he was just saying, like, we were talking about this like rate of books, like people who have a high rate of books, and I was just like, I feel really worried. Like, I don't know, the words have gone. Like, I just feel really scared. I'm never going to write again. I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he, he was, um, he was just like, how many books do you want to publish in your life? <laughs> and I was like, that's such, and I think about that question so much. And it's mm. like, I don't actually think I want, you know, I want to, I only want to publish when I've got something to say. Um, because I think again, you can get hooked onto the publicity of like being visible or being seen as somebody that's like on the talks, on the panels and doing well. And I guess it's like, again, performativity, Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, some people are like really, really prolific, and I wish I was one of those people. Um, but I, I would, for me, it was like I'd only want to publish something when I have something to say. And in this book, I really had something to say, I'd like a central argument and a question I was asking myself. Mm. And I just asked that through this person. And um, yeah, I just, I just hope it happens to me again. That's interesting. I was talking to the writer Tom Ben the other day after he won the Sunday Times Young Writer Award and, oh, yeah. and he'd written four books in pretty quick succession in his early 20s. And then he'd have been writing other stuff, but it had taken eight years for his new book to be written. And I asked him about that and he just said it just it just took that long to write. Like it just that's the time it took, you know, it, yeah. it was a, a different kind of book and he wanted to do it justice. And as you say, there's no point just bashing it out for the sake of it if you know, like God forbid, like when you're one of those book a year authors and you have to, you have yeah. to deliver that manuscript every twelve months. That must be exhausting. Um, yeah, yeah, and I just think, yes, it's a cre- And I went, I did this thing, I did this talk at a festival, and I'm like, it was like being at uni. It was kind of amazing. It was like you'd come out of your dorm room, and I had like the lead singer from Mogwai staying opposite me and I was like oh I'm dying and then um this this woman who was in charge of us she came she was with a poet and then she left us talking and so we were just talking outside my door and she, he had a book coming out and he was just like a really magic person and he was saying that he puts a book out every 10 years and I was like by god how do you feel about that like how how does that feel for you 
and he was just like well it just takes the time it takes it's like mm. he was like i don't want to go faster than that and he was like maybe i'll start writing again in the next five years and i was like that's an incredible experience of time <laughs> where five years feels quite like soon you know yeah and i guess like again it's like the machine just expects you to just keep churning things and actually maybe like I've just been in Rome for six weeks and the speed they go I was like why am I the speed I was going compared to the speed they were going I was like why am I charging about I don't understand I was like full <laughs> London speed I was like slow down where are you going and it's even that it's like how quick are we supposed to actually be going I, mm. I don't know I, I just really hope I write again like I write a book again one day well so do I Sheena because <laughs> I'm a fan hey um, you did it no, I really, I do, I really hope you do. I, I, this book, I just, as I say, it sort of blew me away. And um, despite being almost the antithesis of the right audience for it, um, in, no. in, in terms of what it's sort of tackling, I thought it was, yeah, there's just so much to talk about. We've, we've scratched the surface this afternoon, um, but I look forward to seeing what you do next. Oh, no, thank you for having me. I'm a Fan by Sheena Patel is out now.